Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 6. As I said earlier, this is part of that section that Paul is writing, and, and frankly, the language and his thoughts are complex here. Uh, these are not the easiest things to understand or to grasp, but they are easy to grasp, okay? And let's, let me make it easy for you here. Uh, I, I did this to a bunch of ministers at, at Presbytery, and not this passage, but this is what I, I told them. I said, I know it's after lunch, and there are, there are uh, uh, chemical things that go on in your body after lunch. I mean, uh, Jay Chandler had cooked chicken, and, and everybody had eaten more than, than normal. Um, and I said, before you go to sleep, here's what you need to remember. And, and I think they were thankful that I, I said that. Holiness is not an option for the believer. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean you can leave now or, or check out. I'm just saying this is just in case you've had a tough day or something like that already. Romans 6 tells us holiness is not an option for the believer. Okay? There, there's no, well, I can be saved, but I really don't have to live like it. Maybe later I'll live like it. That's not what he says. He says, if you've been saved, you have been died, and you've been buried, and you've been raised. Why? So you might live like Christ. So if you're able, would you stand with me? And I'll read from Romans chapter 6. Heavenly Father, come upon us this morning, that the words here on the printed page would come alive, that your Holy Spirit would come and provide for us understanding and insight so that we might live these things out. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Romans chapter 6, and I'll read the first seven verses. Well, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now let me bring you up to speed on why Paul says this. Okay, and we have to go back a few, uh, really it's chapters 3, 4, and 5 of Romans. He's, he's faced some pretty daunting questions here and some daunting issues about the glories of our justification, the glories of grace, the glories of our, our union with Christ. And and then look at uh, back two verses there, chapter 5, verse 20, right at the end. And he said things like this, And the law came in that the transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now this is, imagine yourself to be the first century, and you're a... Christian who came out of Judaism and, and you've become a believer, or you're a, someone who is Jewish and you're sitting in Paul's audience, and or, or as they read this letter, and it says, and the law came that the that sin might increase, 
But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And you think, this is crazy. The law did not come so that sin could increase. But yet that's what Paul has said here. And then something even more shocking to their ears. Paul says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And it literally says grace is super abundant. So if this is sin, this is grace. So you would experience, you don't achieve it, it gives you, you experience uh, more grace than the sin. Now, if you're like me, and you're thinking, gee, if I'm getting more grace the more I sin, then maybe I should, what, sin more, and I can get more grace. That's very Rasputin. Okay? If you know Rasputin was, that was his theology. I can sin some more, God will be gracious to me some more. Ooh, that's that's a big jump here. That's not what Paul meant, but that's what some of his audience is thinking he meant. And he's going to go on and explain some of this because he doesn't want to cause confusion in his ears. Now, some were opposed to his teaching no matter what he said. And some saw where his teaching might lead, and that would be one example would be in the Rasputin view. Uh, another place it might lead would be antinomianism, which means that uh, nomi would be... The uh, law and anti, no law, that means I don't have to follow any law if I've already received grace. I don't have to obey any law. I don't have to do anything that that uh, my, my old self, uh, you know, from, how do I say this? I don't have to obey any law because I've got grace. Mm, that's not what he's saying. And, and because that view might lead to the antinomianism, it might lead to just unabashed sinful behavior. Uh, if, if, if sin leads to grace, then I want all the grace that I can get. And, and they're saying, Paul, if you teach this, you're going to lead people into immorality because they're going to see it that way. And, and it's obvious his audience didn't fully understand what he meant. If they were so crazy as to say, well, can I sin boldly? And Paul, in, in his classic statement, he says this in a couple places, Verse 2, may it never be. Or how could you think that? Or in, in the vernacular of the day, that's just stupid to think that way. But Paul's a lot nicer than, than I am. And so he wouldn't say that. Paul means that personal holiness, that good works are all important in the Christian life. They do not get us to Christ, and we'll see that in a moment there, but they are important in the Christian life. Um, but doesn't that mean that if I'm justified, I'm free from doing anything else? I've received all I can from Jesus Christ, so that now I'm, I'm holy? No, you are not holy, because holiness is a process. Yes, you are saved. And think back to the day that you were saved. If you're like me and, and can, can pick that day in your life and did you suddenly, in an instant, go from an enemy of God to a child of God? Yes. Did you suddenly go to some great uh, banner of spiritual um, purity? No. I, it took work in my life. I don't know about you, but it, it took quite a few years to get rid of some of that old stuff. And it still hangs on. You know, it still lingers in my life. Now, there are people who misunderstand this kind of teaching, and they go, well, frankly, it's been... Uh, and I, I actually talked to one lady. She said it's been six years since I've sinned. <laughs> and and, and my, my response was like, well, 
you just sit down because you lied to me. <laughs> but that's how the, they took. I said, I've, I've, I've become free from sin. Well, that is just crazy. Okay, uh, that is not scriptural. And Paul says, by no means. And the reason why we can no longer live in sin is the very point that people wanted to argue that they were free to sin, and that is our union with Christ. Some were thinking, I'm united with Christ, I can, I'm, I'm safe, I'm going to do whatever I want. And Paul is saying, no, because you're united with Christ, you can't go do whatever you want. You have to live like Christ. Not only are you called to, but you are empowered to live in that fashion as well. So he goes on to say, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. This is verses 4 and 5. Let me just read here. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. In order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. That's the purpose. That's why we have been buried. That's why we have been raised. So that we may walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united in him, with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. In the likeness of our resurrection. In our union with Christ, we receive not only the benefit of justification, that's being instantly and permanently changed from an enemy to a child of God. But we also receive the benefit of sanctification. And sanctification is a process. It is growing more and more into the things of Christ. Now many people think that sanctification is just, is all me. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to pull myself up on my own spiritual bootstraps. And, 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 and next time I'm going to do better. Well, there is, a, there is our aspect in it. We have to do things. We can't sit in the lazy boy chair and say, Lord, sanctify me. And it's not going to happen. We have to work and we have to put our effort into it. But again, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life that enables us to achieve that. Enables us to grow into Christ's likeness. And the only way that we do that, John says very clearly, when he quote John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me. If you don't abide in Christ, if you don't stick with Christ, if you don't consume his word, if you just if you if you're not doing that, you're not abiding, you're not gonna grow. Okay? If you wonder, gee, I'm just I'm just kind of in a dry spot. I, I, you know, it's been for how long since I think I've I've really felt the presence of Christ in my life, or it's been how long since I've really, you know, stepped out and, and did something. I feel like I'm just fading away. Maybe you're not abiding in Christ. Okay, the only way to abide and grow is to stay attached. To him. Christians have this great assurance that when we are united to Christ by faith, we receive all the benefits of redemption. Not just some, but we receive all the benefits of redemption. So when it comes to holiness, it is not my personal righteousness that makes me acceptable to God, it's my acceptance by God that enables my personal righteousness. It's the acceptance by God of me first that then enables me to live in a holy life. Enables me to live in a way that is pleasing to God. We do not obey in order to be redeemed, but rather we are redeemed. That redemption enables us to obey the things of our Heavenly Father. So in a highfalutin way, what we are in the Christian life precedes our ability to obey that which God would have us do in the Christian life. Let me illustrate this for you out of Exodus. Now, we're not going to turn there because we all know the story of Exodus. 
Okay? And, and uh, what? They hear the people are in slavery for some 400 plus years and they're crying out to God. And God comes to them and says, What? If you will obey my law, if you will do the things I call you, then I will save you and bring you out of Egypt. Is that what he says to them? You're thinking, it sounds familiar, but I don't think that's quite right. Well, because it's not right. He says, I'm going to come and redeem you from Egypt. I'm going to pull you out. And then, once they get to the mountain, he gives them the law. You see, redemption comes first, and then the law came afterwards. He says, uh, Exodus 20, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I did this. Then he says, you shall have no other gods before me. He doesn't say, you shall have no other gods before me, and then I'll bring you out of Egypt. No, I brought you out. You're my people. I have redeemed you. Now, here's how you are to live. And they didn't have the power to live that way before. It's like the Christian life. Well, I'm going to be good enough and God's going to accept me. Really? God's standard is what? Perfection. Did you achieve perfection today? Uh, in the last 20 minutes? I don't know. But it, no. Uh, the answer is no. You can never achieve perfection. God works in your life. Then you can grow into the things that he wants you to be. I've already brought you out of Egypt. I've already brought you out of slavery. The law doesn't redeem. The law helps us understand what God wants us to do. So what we are precedes what we do. We are in Christ. Our union with Christ because he does the work. Now we can live that way. Okay? Augustine said, Lord, command what you will, but give what you command. Okay? When the Lord, he says, Lord, command whatever you want me to do, but enable me to do it. The Lord says, that's what I'm going to do. When I call you to do something, you will be able to achieve it. Now, as if you had any doubt, let me just reiterate, Paul has left out our works. There is no talk of our work in justification. It is only God's work. So if you're teaching, or if you hear somebody teach, well, you've got to add something to the work of Christ to achieve salvation. This is wrong. It's not what Scripture teaches. It is Christ plus nothing. It's not Christ and singing in the choir. As good as the choir is, it's not singing in the choir. It's not Christ plus going to Sunday school. It's not Christ plus tithing. It's, it's, it's Christ. And then you can sing in the choir. It's Christ. Then you understand Sunday school. Before, it was just a great place to be. And now, you're growing. Now, it's rich. And now, you're feeding on it. Why? Because your life has been changed by Christ. Now, in this discussion, Paul's not playing down the law. He's not playing down the necessity of personal holiness. You have to have personal holiness because your life has been changed. And the rest of the scripture teaches us that. All you have to do is go back and look at, Timothy, go back and look at the first and second Kings, and first and second Samuel, first and second Chronicles, or the prophets, and how Israel would, for a while, they would adhere to the things of the Lord. And it would be great, and then there would be blessing, and then it would be so good that they look around and go, we're pretty good on our own, I think, and, and we don't really need this God who, who we can't see. And so they would drift away, and then the blessings would leave. And then God would judge them. Personal holiness is very, very important. Uh, let me read some more out of Romans 6 here. Verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall 
be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now why does Paul use words such as this baptism? If you've been baptized in, but baptized into his death, what does that mean? Now, if... Uh, how many of you had to memorize more than the first question of the Westminster Catechism at some point in your life? Okay? When you get to the section on baptism, which is a little bit later, one of the issues that we find in the Westminster Catechism is this, that when you attend a baptism of someone else, not only are you called to remember your own baptism, but you are called upon to improve your own baptism. That's part of the catechism. It's my translation of it. You think, well, does that mean I can get a new and improved baptism? So I get baptized again? No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying here, you're listening to the questions that are asked, either to the, the, the person or the parents, and you're reflecting on your own baptism, and you're, and you're saying, have I lived that way? Have I done those things? Am I pleasing to the Lord in that fashion? Uh, so it's a chance for us to, as, as Westminster says, attend upon our own baptism and to improve upon it. So we should understand more deeply and more richly what the Lord has done to thank Him, to, to love Him, to know the great depths of grace. Every time we have a baptism, attend upon your own and reflect upon that. So Paul says, I want you to reflect upon your baptism in two ways. Two ways. That you were baptized into Christ and secondly, you were baptized into His death. It's a strange way of saying things, but hopefully we'll understand it in just a moment. You've all been baptized into Jesus Christ, and you've been baptized into his death. Now, just remember what he said. He said, just a second ago, he said, well, if you're a believer, you're dead to sin. And, and again, this type of language just makes his hearers in that culture a little bit crazy. Uh, I think it makes us a little bit crazy, too. We scratch our heads and say, what does Paul, Paul, can't you say something simple? Uh, not all the time. Not all the time. So they're thinking, well, when exactly was it um, that we died to sin? Because I don't, it doesn't seem to be dead in my life yet. I still have this, this sin going on. And Paul says, yeah, me too. Romans 7. He gets to it in just a minute. Uh, he says, well, consider your baptism. Paul doesn't say that water baptism, whether it's pouring or dunking or sprinkling by an adult or an infant, he doesn't say that that saves you. He says that, that that baptism is a symbol of our union with Christ. It is a symbol of our union with Christ. So when, when he's responding to the question, so when did we die to sin? Paul's pointing to our union with Christ in baptism. He says, don't you know that everyone who has been baptized has been baptized into Christ? into his death, into his work. That's a, that's a concept you have to chew on for a little bit. It's not, the, here are the three things that make your life happy. This is, I've been baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. I've been baptized into the work of Jesus Christ. Well, so if you've been baptized into Christ, then sin is no longer your master. Now, yes, sin, sin remains in our lives, but it doesn't reign in our life. We don't live under the dominion of sin. We live under the power of the Holy Spirit now. 
No longer under the condemnation of the law. No, you're lived free. You've been free to live under the, the dominion of grace, not under under the dominion of law. So even your baptism shows you don't go on sinning once grace has come into your life. So that, well, you have been baptized. If I sin more, I can get more grace. No, that's not what happens. Power and the chains of sin no longer bind you. Yes, they remain. You are free to pursue the things of grace and the things of Christ. You are baptized into Christ, into his person. You've been freed by the Holy Spirit so that you can live to Christ. So Paul emphasizes how the dominion of sin is broken in our lives in two ways. He uses a negative and he uses a positive. It's classic Paul. He likes to go both sides and illustrate this. So first, the negative. He uses three words. Crucified, died, and buried. They crucify you, you're going to be dead. You're, you die, you are dead. And if they bury you, you are dead. So there's this theme, obviously, going on in Paul's work here. Uh, if you, you have been buried, you're dead. Death brings an emphatic end to what went before. When death comes, it ends what went before in this life. Now, we know for the Christian... As Paul says in Thessalonians, oh, the believers are only asleep. You know, they're with the Lord, their body sleeps until he returns. But they are with the Lord. So your death to the power and the dominion of sin has been accomplished with union in Christ. That's the negative. Crucified, dead, and buried. Positive. So you're like, positive, this is good. Now we have the ability to walk in this new life. Because you've been dead to these things... Now you can walk in the newness of life. Look at verse 4. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. So, why has all this happened? So that Randy can walk in the newness of life. Just think about that. Put your name there. That's why this has happened. Why did Christ do all this? Why has all this been laid out for us? So that I might walk in the newness of life. Not in the old life. The old things are gone. Paul says that in Colossians and other places. Take off the old. It's like taking off the old order. Put on the new clothes of Christ. So we can't go on sinning. Uh, yeah, there's sin in our lives. And Paul, as I said, Romans 7, I, I, why do I do the things I know I shouldn't do? Paul wrestles with it. But it's not as if we should blatantly and openly pursue sin and expect God just to forgive us. No. You've been changed so that you can walk in the newness of life. You are united with him in death. And what happened after Christ died? He was Raised. So if we've been united with him in his death, we'll also be united with what? His resurrection. Okay, and that's not just the second coming. Okay, when Paul thinks about these things, he's not just saying when Christ returns in the clouds and our bodies are raised imperishable, that's not just what he's thinking. He's also thinking about the moment when you, you are united with Christ. The day you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior was a day of resurrection for you. Because you were what? Dead to sin. Dead to the thing, dead in sin. Dead to the things of God. Christ comes and takes you and gives you new 
life. So he's referring to that and looking forward to the next resurrection when Christ returns. Believers are raised to the newness of life when we first believe upon our Lord Jesus Christ. And that grants us, in a sense, a foretaste of the glory. If you could remember what life was like the day before you believed and then the day after. Or maybe that instant. This is a glimpse of what we are working towards to accept. Christ has saved us. His grace has changed us. The Christian life prepares us as we grow in the things of Christ for what we will do for all eternity. So Paul says here that if you die to him, you've been buried to him, you'll be raised in the same fashion that he was raised. Right? He is risen. He's risen indeed. Okay? Uh, so Randy is in Christ, so Randy will be raised indeed. Okay? That's what it says. So Paul's saying when you believe on Jesus Christ, God grants you this new life that flows from Christ. Does it mean you'll never sin again? Uh, we know that answer. But the problem that many Christians face is that they want forgiveness, but they don't want holiness. Holiness is hard. Holiness requires that we pitch out some things in our lives. Holiness requires that we do some hard work because it doesn't happen in, it doesn't happen in vacuum. It happens in the midst of this world that calls to us and says, well, come over here, you know, and then, yeah, I know you want to be holy, but put holiness off a day or two and come over and spend time with me. You remember me from, from your former life. I'm one of your favorite sins. Come on over. <laughs> Word sanctify me, but not yet. Mm. Mm, that's tough. There are people who are perfectly happy being forgiven, but not holy. And Paul says, you cannot even consider that a possibility. You cannot consider that you can stop at forgiveness and not desire holiness as a possibility in the Christian life. Because if you have been changed, you will desire holiness. It might be hard. It might be a struggle. It might be a struggle each and every day. But you're going to desire it. Might desire it more on some days and less on others, but you simply cannot have the forgiveness of Christ without personal holiness. That is part of the package of union with Christ. God's forgiveness, God's delivering us from the dominion of sin in our daily lives is part of the whole package. God doesn't just save us so that we can be forgiven and go on sinning and get some more of His grace. No. He says, I've forgiven you, I've saved you, I've transformed you, so that you might live in a fashion no longer bound by the chains of sin in this world, but wholly unto me. We have to look at our own lives and say, okay, that's what it says. I may not particularly like it, but that's what God wants me to do. So how are we going to live? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this passage is rich in, in very complex theology and deep spiritual truths, but what it comes down to is, if I'm saved, I will live differently. If I'm saved, I will want the things of Christ more 
than the things of sin. Yes, there's a struggle going on in each of us. And each of us knows that because we all have our own areas of life that, 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 that we wrestle with. Some days we just we have it going on and sin, sin is, is back behind us. And then other days it seems like it's caught up with us. And now it's pulling on our pant leg and slowing us down and calling us back into that old life. But you've given us grace to save us. Also, give us the grace to overcome that sin and to resist that temptation. That our lives might be a fragrant offering to you. That our that the desires of our hearts would be you first and foremost. That our, our thoughts during the day would not exclude you, but but we would focus upon you on a regular basis throughout the day. That the words that we say would encourage others to pursue you and to think upon the things of Christ. To think upon things that are beautiful and holy and just. That the fruit of the Spirit might flow from what we say and how we live. And, and even though it is it's so hard to be patient, that we would be patient. It is so hard to be gentle sometimes that we would be gentle when really calls for it. That people might not see just me standing here, but they would see Christ. That in our interaction, they would not just see us, they would see Christ. And hear his words of care and of grace and of love for them. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat>